We're going to study Luke chapter 21, verses uh, 29 through 38 today. You can turn there. The verses will be on the screen. But before we go there, I want to read a verse from way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it describes what he would go out and say right there at the beginning. This is something he preached throughout his ministry. It says in Mark chapter 1, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And here's what Jesus would often preach. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As we study Luke 21 today, let's pay careful attention to this. Let's pay careful attention to what God says he's going to handle, and then what he calls us to do. There are things in this passage that God describes, and there are things in this passage that God prescribes for his people to do. And we'll hear something very specific today as we go to Luke 21, starting in verse 29. This is called the parable of the fig tree. How many people here have ever seen a fig tree in real life? I've seen a fig tree in real life. Uh, I'm privileged to have seen a fig tree. Um, Has anybody here ever eaten a fig? And no, fig newtons do not count. Okay. Man, everybody just put their hand back down, right? Um, So a fig is a fruit that grows on a tree. And I will tell you this. The parable of the fig tree might be the easiest parable to understand in the whole Bible. Check it out. Verse 29. Then he, Jesus, told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. And all the trees. So even if you don't know fig tree, this this goes for all fruit-bearing trees. Verse 30, as soon as they put out leaves, as soon as they put out leaves. Now, it's February. We had a couple nice days this week, but uh, we are dead in the middle of what season? It's winter, and, and there's no spring in sight. But there will come a day when you will go outside And even though it's a little bit chilly, you're going to see some buds on the flowers and trees. And you'll know when you see that, that it's not going to be winter forever. Jesus is is making a connection here. He says, as soon as they put their leaves on so you can see, you recognize that summer is already near. It's never been easier to understand. Jesus said, when you see the leaves on the tree... You know the season's changing. And this is why he told them. He says, verse 31, he said, In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. When you see these things. Now, what does he mean by these things? How can we know? Okay, so we know when things change, we can see that. But I think Jesus is referring to something specific, these things. And, and he's referring to this whole long speech he's just given that Pastor Jesse talked to us about last week. Remember when Jesus came into the capital city, Jerusalem, and he were next to the uh, temple? And he said that this temple is going to be what? Destroyed. 
And the disciples asked a two-parter. They said, well, when is this going to happen, and what are the signs? And so Jesus is answering their question, and he will answer a little bit more as we go. But just from what you know about Jesus, what are the signs of God's kingdom? What are some of the signs that Jesus was already doing, seeing that the kingdom is at hand? Miracles are some of the signs, indeed. Now, in this passage, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is preaching. People are crowding around to hear him. And then he's talking about destruction. And that is a bit surprising. Look back at, uh, if you look back at Luke 21, this won't be on the screen, but you'll see there where the disciples ask the question, When's this going to happen? And how do we know? You know, what are the signs going to be? Well, here comes Jesus to, to answer here in Luke 21. He says this, Luke 21, verse 32, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And I, I have to be uh, straight up with you here that this is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible. People have argued about this for 2,000 years. When Jesus says in verse 32, this generation will not pass away, scholars have come up with five different explanations for what Jesus could have meant. Maybe when he said this generation, he was talking about uh, the people that he was preaching to in that very moment. Or maybe Luke, as the writer, is talking about the generation to which Luke was writing. Or maybe this generation, some have suggested, is the, the Jewish people. Or maybe some other people thought, this generation meaning all humans. And others wrote and said, no, by this generation, it's talking about the people that are alive at the end of the world. And I've heard different people explain different things. And you know what? There are probably things in this passage that are true about the generation to which Jesus was preaching, and there are probably some things in this passage that are true both of then and of a future day of the Lord. As Je Pastor Jesse pointed out last week, there are many days of the Lord, and there will become an ultimate day when he comes back and makes all things new. Certainly, this generation will not pass away we know from history that's, that's something Jesus predicted would happen in his generation. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to point out to you right here something that Jesus is saying, a timeless truth. Our lives only last a season. Like, we're not forever, but notice what, what Jesus says about his own words. I mean, we're reading these words 2,000 years later. Think about all the people that have read these words and are now dust in the ground. And we're reading them too. We only last a season, but God's words never fade. And this is a huge authority claim by Jesus here. After I'm dead and gone, like how many of the things that I have said or written down are going to last another hundred years? What's my mark on this world? I, I got a book out um, 
It's in my library at home. My, my, I have a lot of books. And this book, I don't even know how I got it. And I like to read it because it's from the 1800s, and it's written by Dwight L. Moody. It's a first edition, and it has some handwriting by some other guy or lady. I don't know who had it. They wrote their name with their initials in the front of the book. And I like to see what they wrote and what they circled. And I have circled some things in there. And it's a sweet book from Dwight L. Moody. And, and we know some of the things that Dwight L. Moody said, but you know what? There's not even a person alive today that knew him. And um, the truth is, apart from some books and some sermons, he's fading in our collective memory. Yet Jesus here is saying, hey, what I am, who I am, and what I have to say, it doesn't age out. It doesn't lose its effectiveness or truthfulness. Now, one of the things that Jesus is predicting here uh, that's happened historically is about the temple. What did Jesus say would happen to the temple? Look, he said this generation will not pass away. Let's go to that next slide. We have a picture here, a real picture from Jerusalem. And still, 2,000 years later, these giant stones lay in ruin. These are the stones of the second temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D. Can you imagine this, a religious leader saying, yeah, the temple's going to be destroyed? Imagine if I was out front saying, hey, <laughs> hope you have a good time at City View today because it's going to be destroyed. It seems like a serious matter. And if you're a Jewish person in the first century, you would gasp, wait a second, the temple destroyed? That already happened once, hundreds of years ago. It's going to happen again. How are we going to meet with God? How are we going to worship God and bring sacrifices to God? Because you see, the temple was the place where God's people met with God. And if you were a religious person in the first century, you would have to think, no, this can never be, this can never happen, that God's temple will be destroyed, because that means we would be separated from God. But remember that passage I read at the beginning? Jesus said the kingdoms at hand repent and believe the gospel, right? And Jesus is explaining here, you're not going to worship God in a localized temple, now, your relationship with God is not limited to this one place. That's why he says to the woman at the well, right? What does he say to the woman at the well? John 4, he says, uh, there's a time coming. It's now here. When people aren't going to worship me on this mountain or th at this temple, they're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. And so we could go to this next slide here to talk about a little bit of the difference here. Jesus is saying, temple's gone. The kingdom's come. And now God's dominion is going to expand out from this building into the hearts and lives of people all around the world, including you, through the gospel. And so now the place where God is worshipped isn't a building. Now it's in here, in the heart that he's made new. And the kingdom is the people that have been made alive by Jesus. 
So sometimes we talk about, oh, what religion are you in? I'm a Christian, or somebody might answer that a different way. And the terminology that that Jesus is using here isn't just about religion. It's about God's authority and God's rule. It's now expanding out, and it's not just that I'm part of his religion, but now he is the Lord of my life. He's the Savior. He owns all of me, and I willingly, I love it. I love the fact that I'm secure with the one whose words never fade. We're in the kingdom of God. It's not wrong to say that you're a Christian. That's, that's in the New Testament too, but I want you to think about that for a minute. Has God's dominion expanded into my heart and life through the gospel? And you look at that temple now. It, it was a place where animals were killed. It was a picture of, of God's mercy, but it was also a picture of death. Now you have the kingdom, the people that God has made alive. And I want to encourage you today, it just if, if you could just take this even, that don't, don't trust in your own self to be saved. Don't trust that you did all the right things and you made all the right sacrifices. Our covenant is with God through Christ. We're secure only in the one whose words never fade. We're secure because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And so he calls us new creations because that's what we are. And so as we go forward in this passage now, if Jesus is the king and we're under his domain, let's allow his words to shape who we are and what we do. Let's go to Luke 21, verse 34 through 36. And notice here, Jesus is going to shift from describing what's going to happen, describing what he's going to do, and now he's going to shift over to prescribing what he wants his people to do. He's going to tell his people what to do. Here it is. Be on your guard. Verse 34, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life. He lists a few things that can dull your mind. I can see how drunkenness would dull your mind. You're just drinking all the time, so you're not even alert to what's going on in the world. But worries of life, that dulls your mind too. It's interesting. You're so distracted about Oh, what is gonna ha- what's, when's this going to happen? When am I going to get this internship? Oh, am I going to be able to make it? Is this going to happen? I, I have worries of life. He says, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the earth. So in case you thought maybe Jesus was just talking to the disciples here or the crowds of people that came to listen to him, no, no, no. He's saying we all need to have sharp minds because this day will come on all of us. Verse 36, be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We have a tendency to have dull minds. Nate, you could skip ahead to the one that says, um, 
It's a question. Now, I'll go to the next question. We'll come back to this one. I'm, I'm calling an audible here. What percentage of our time do we numb our minds? So just think in your waking hours, the things you do that numb your minds. So I, I'll, get, I'll get on the next generation, okay? And then we'll come back, we'll come back around to you. Have you heard of the TikTok? Have you heard of mindless scrolling? <laughs> yeah. I've been there. So let me tell you this. Uh, we can waste time uh, entertaining ourselves. As Paul Washer put it, we could entertain ourselves to death. Literally fill our lives up from the moment we wake to the moment we sleep with things that are just kind of like entertaining us and never really think about the real things of life. And it's probably scary if we could look at a pie chart of our waking hours, how much time are we actually numbing our minds? And I'm guilty of this. Now, there are other ways we can numb our minds. What do you think? How, what are the other ways that we can numb our minds? I mean, Jesus talked about drunkenness, obviously. Um, but what, what else can we do that would take us out of being all, all, up, all together up here and just kind of unfocused now? We're just drifting, staring out into space. And again, we're talking about th things. I, I'm not up here to... Uh, become legalistic and tell you, you're not allowed to go on the internet. You're not allowed to do this or that. But I'm just asking us to reflect on, do we have a habit of dulling our minds? Because Jesus is telling us very specifically here that we shouldn't. And that's a hard one. It is very inconvenient. Uh, sometimes, I, like, I'll, let me give you an example here. I'm preparing for this, um, preparing for this sermon last night. You know what comes into my mind? Huh. I wonder what kind of good um, police car chase crash compilation videos are on YouTube. You know, it could be anything. It could come up with anything and it would be in your mind. And you know what? 30 minutes later, you say, wait a second. I feel like I'm supposed to be working on something, something else, right? And you get distracted. Or at school, I, I see some students and I can relate to them. They have an eight-hour school day, and it's hour two or three, and their mind's tired, and they want to do something that's relaxing and not have to focus their mind because they don't have the discipline. And I, I can relate to that. I think we can all relate to the fact that sometimes we just want to not have to focus. But Jesus is giving us a warning here. He's saying, yeah, but this could become the pattern of your life is that all you do is just worship and seek the comfort of, of having a numb mind. And, and then you entertain yourself to death. And that's the warning. The warning is to say, if, if that becomes so much of our life, what is it taking away? Now, um, Nate, we could go to what sort of mind are we to have. And I want to share with you some prayer requests uh, some prayer, well, they are prayer requests, but they are not written by me. They're prayers of ancient people, people who lived over, um, you know, 70, 80, 90 years ago. People wrote their prayers in here. Jesus told us. He said in 
Luke 21, he said, be alert all times, praying that you may have strength. Here's some prayers. Here's one on the screen right here. It says, grant me strength, great God, like that of hills. Short little prayer. It's from a longer prayer where someone is looking at the hills, and they're saying, it's Esther Popel. She's looking at the hills, and she's saying, man, you know what about the hills? It snows on the hills. It rains on the hills. The trees grow. The trees die. The lightnings strike, and the hills are still there. Grant me strength, great God, like that of hills. Let me show you a longer prayer. Let's go to this one. This is uh, Howard Thurman, 1951. He said, I need a sense, I need thy sense of the future. Teach me to know that life is ever on the side of the future. Keep alive in me the forward look, the high hope, the onward surge. This is a neat prayer. If you get discouraged in life and now you're taking it to God, let me not be frozen either by the past or the present. Grant me, O patient Father, thy sense of the future without which all life would sicken and die. He's saying, if I could summarize here, he's saying, God, I need your strength. I need you to strengthen my mind or else I can't really go, I can't take the next step. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sicken and die. I'm going to be frozen, he says. This is interesting here. He's praying for strength in his mind. Let's go to the next one. Here's another one. This is just a, another prayer. I like to add this one because this is just a pastor in Detroit in 1961, and this is what he wrote down. He's been dead for a long time, but he wrote this prayer, and I think we can relate to it in our generation. It says, in the midst of sorrow or joy, sickness or health, adversity or prosperity. So whether things are good or bad, grant, we beseech thee, that we may never lose sight of thee. And when the storms of confusion and uncertainty overtake us, speak peace to our soul, O blessed Lord, and enlighten our minds. Again, praying for this mind to be sharp and strong. Enlighten our minds with thy Holy Spirit. Lighten our burdens by strengthening our spirit. Keep us strong and give us courage. And so when we look at the words of Jesus, in Luke 21, verses 34 through 36, Jesus says, be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength. And here we are seeing the prayers of people who need God's strength. I summarized it like this. Every human in every generation needs God's strength for today and for the day we stand before him. Every human in every generation needs God's strength for today and for the day we stand before him. Because Jesus said, be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And we need God's strength. How could we really live this life in any way other than just drifting unless we have God strengthening us with his words that never fade. Otherwise, we're just kind of going down the river and we're, we're gra grasping at things, but we're just, we're just floating down. Yet Jesus comes in. He says, I've got something transcendent for you. I've got truth. 
My words never fade. My security never grows weak. And so now we can say, oh, in all the circumstances here that Jesus describes, if we pray for God's strength, we could have strength for today, and we could have strength, check out that last line, strength to stand before the Son of Man. It's, it's curious. So we need to pray for strength now, right? But we also need to pray that, that God would be the overseer of our souls so that when we stand before him and, and we know we're not worthy, we say, well, I, I'm not here in my strength. I'm here because Jesus, Jesus saved me. I'm not here because I went to the church enough times and put a 20 in and I, I, I sacrificed my lunch to have this uh, gift. for. Th- That's not why we deserve to have a relationship with God. We don't deserve to have a relationship with God. Jesus is our strength. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news that Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He died in our place. He rose from the dead proving that he is God. So he's our strength. He's the one that makes us even justified in the eyes of God. What sort of mind are we to have a renewed one? And so we looked at those prayers to see how people in every generation have called out to God for strength. When I opened that old, old book, I was looking for a quote. It's the Dwight L. Moody. It's called Notes from My Bible. So you can find this book out there. But I was looking for the right page, and I went, I looked at every page in that book, and then I did it three times, and I still couldn't find the quote, and I finally found it at the end. And here's what it is. Here's what Moody wrote. Okay, you ready? This is what I was looking for all evening. Moody wrote, men will wrangle for religion. They'll write for it. They'll fight for it. They die for it. Anything but live for it. And I thought this was immediately very relevant to the passage. I've listened to people preach about Jesus' words about the day of the Lord, and they'll say something very um, hypothetical. They'll be like, if somebody came in here today and held a gun to your head, would you, uh, would you confess that Jesus is your Savior, or would you? And, okay, th- that question's interesting. Um, but I'll tell you what, I could sit there and say, yeah, I would definitely um, never you know, give up on Jesus. I would be faithful. And then we could walk out that door, and it really doesn't have anything to do with our life today. It doesn't really have anything to do with how I'm going to treat the guy at the grocery store or, you know, this person that calls me or what have you. So these hypothetical questions, this wasn't what Jesus was going after here. He was actually going after not how we're going to die, but how we're going to live. And he wanted us to live with alert minds. He wanted us to live with God's strength. So here's what I wrote here. One more. Uh, I wrote the call is not to be speculative oh, you know, I saw on the news, if so-and-so gets elected or if this happens in China and Russia, then maybe the end is near. The call is not to be speculative. The call is to be responsible with our minds. So when you look at this passage here, Jesus, you know, he's talking about signs of the time. He's not saying, you know, maybe if you have the, you know, like the uh, whiteboard and you got the trigonomic, functions and you do all the numbers and all this and you'll figure out when the end is going to be well that's not what he called he said when you see the signs you know what to do be responsible with your mind that's the application that's what he prescribes for us to do 
And the Bible does that over and over again. I think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's why, I think that's why Moody wrote, you know, people want to do all this for religion, except the hardest thing is just to live it out. And the way we live it out, I think, there's many answers to this, but it's to meditate on the words of, of Jesus, the words that never fade, and it's to pray for God's strength like the people in the generations before us did. Have a look here at, this is the end of the chapter, Luke 21, how the people responded. It says, during the day he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives, and then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. The people were going to his feet, and, and this is true of us today. We come to him this morning because he alone has the words of eternal life. I wrote a prayer for us now, and we can pray this together as we end this, this time of studying the Bible. We're going to continue in worship. We're going to respond with our praise, prayer, and testimony, but allow me to pray this for you and for me as we respond to Jesus' call to have responsible minds. It says this, Our future is only secure with you, the one whose words never fade. May your words shape us. God, you call us forgiven. You call us new creations. You call us to a real purpose in this life. Having been saved by you, we hear your call today to be responsible with our minds and to rely on you you, you are our strength. Give us strength today to be alive and not numb, to be filled with your spirit, to meditate on your unfading words. Through Christ we pray this. Amen.